also massive pros for the for the big brands is is that element of of trust in terms of the product that people are going to get and that that's ties into the consistency which is can be at the detriment because they have to reduce quality to become consistent you know mm. you can't have super super high standard of of output and have it globally you, you have to pull it down to a level that's easy to manage so it's easy to be consistent but at the same time it's a massive pro because any customer walk into those stores anywhere and knows what they're going to get Welcome to the Daily Coffee Pro by Mapple Ford Friends. I'm your host, Lee Safar, and this is episode two of a five-part series where we're talking about independent brands versus the big brands. The big brands like Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, all of those guys. And I know you guys wake up and on your way to work, if you own a cafe, you, you pass a Starbucks and you're thinking, how can I be more like Starbucks? Or how can I be more like any of the big coffee roasting companies? Uh, and in this, in this specific episode, we're talking about the pros and cons of, be, of big brands, of being a big brand. So, Erin, what are your thoughts around the pros and cons? Pick whichever one you want to start at and go. I guess the, the really easy one to start with, which is um, the most obvious, is that as a company gets bigger, they suffer from um, internal systems that they need to set up and they yeah. su- suffer from the layers of bureaucracy and they... They suffer from um, diff- difficulties in communication across the company. In a, yeah. you know, in Starbucks's case, in, in a global capacity, um, but, you know, thirty-five thousand stores or whatever it is now. Um, so that that's that's an obvious one. Um, I one of the more subtle ones which I was thinking about recently is that their actual their actual coffee product. Um, they're having to generally they're having to roast dark. Mm-hmm. Because it produces a, not a better coffee, but a more consistent coffee. And one of the big challenges for a big brand is is consistency. Because mm-hmm. you know, we as consumers, we need to know that a Starbucks coffee is a Starbucks coffee, whether I'm in Japan or whether I'm in the States. So um, they have to just level that level that out massively, and they can't be looking at specialty coffee in the way that the rest of the market does they need to get to a much more consistent point and there's definitely a debate as to whether these big brands can be called specialty coffee because specialty coffee is a number as we all know um and starbucks is specialty coffee like in terms of the number but it's not specialty coffee in terms of how people feel about it so um i think a, a big con for being a big brand is that people don't necessarily trust that that depth of artisanal production when actually they could be there the the beautiful thing about everything coffee is that it's subjective based on your perspective right i would argue people that people who are drinking those uh rainbow fucking frappuccino thingies right that has like a shot of espresso in it those people will tell you this is a specialty drink this is definitely specialty coffee because from their perspective this is the sunshine that they're looking for every day right they even think that their uh double macchiato that comes in a 16 or 24 ounce cup uh which is like a, a massive 
massive amount of milk with a double espresso in it, that's what they're calling a macchiato, they would tell you that that's a, a specialty drink, right? Like in, in America, you get a coffee or you get, the, you get a Starbucks. Like they, they now use that uh, instead of just going to get a coffee, I'm going to go and get a Starbucks. And so for many, many people, because they've graduated up into a Starbucks, their impression is that that is what specialty coffee is because before they were drinking diner coffee, right? And who are we? Like the Specialty Coffee Association and everyone around it can't seem to agree on what specialty coffee means. So they, I, I guess there's a podcast series on its own, right? There really is a whole conversation that I had with Yanis about what does what's the definition of specialty coffee. And because the definition keeps evolving, we've moved so far from it's anything above an 80 on the cupping score. Um that now when we're talking about what specialty coffee is, it really does depend on who you talk to. Like you go to uh, you go to Copenhagen and their impression of what specialty coffee is is way, way different than somebody who's in New York. But the base standard of coffee in Copenhagen is way higher than anything that exists anywhere in the United States. And I don't know, I mean, what's really interesting about that is it wasn't the big brands that defined it in Copenhagen. No, but it was, I, I mean, definitely it was the big brands that unlocked it in terms of a concept globally, like it made it. Right. Um, so Starbucks made specialty coffee accessible to, yeah. to people because at the time, specialty coffee, it was 80 or above. So right. as a technical kind of black and white uh, definition, that if their coffee is like 82 or, you know, it could even be like up to high 80s, um, then it is specialty coffee, whether they're then la like lacing it with all manner of syrups and <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> right. The actual coffee is still specialty coffee, but right. the, I suppose the, the ethos and our gut feeling about, oh, that doesn't feel right. I mean, it's it's the equivalent of, um, I, I love my whiskey and mm -hmm. it's the equivalent of, having a lovely, lovely whiskey and mixing mm. it with Coke, you know. Right. And it is still a lovely whiskey, but it's just right. been, been been destroyed to a degree. But uh, definitely a, a, a massive a, a massive con for the big brands is that that lack of uh, artisanal connection between the customer and the brands. So there's the, obviously there's the brand loyalty, which is the flip side of that, which is the pro. But for people who are wanting more from that interaction. They're wanting to kind of really get to know the, the maker, so to speak. They want mm -hmm. to have that connection with where the product's coming from. Um, people like Starbucks, they suffer a little bit with a trust element on that. And they've been working so hard to, to integrate with communities. They had a massive push for it around 2017, where they were doing community stores that were all designed to, uh, to fit in with those local communities. But mm. it's always, felt a little bit shallow um, because, you know, Starbucks comes and lands in your little, little town in the suburbs of wherever and, and they're a community store. And mm. it's hard to to really believe that when you've also then got an independent pugilist down who genuinely is a community store. So they're always going to suffer from that. Um, but they can't have both, right? Like they've got that brand loyalty and they've got that global recognition but they can't have that as well as that community integration. Mm. Um, 
but um, also massive pros for the for the big brands is is that element of of trust in terms of the product that people are going to get, and that that ties into the consistency, which is can be at a detriment because they have to reduce quality to become consistent. You know, you mm. can't have super super high standard of of output and have it globally. You, you have to pull it down to a level that's easy to manage, so it's easy to be consistent. But at the same time, it's a massive pro because any customer walk into those stores anywhere and knows what they're going to get. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mapper Forward's first on-demand workshop, How to Become a Coffee Consultant, available now online for you to learn at your own pace with a certificate available upon completion. Click the link in the show notes to access today for just 50 euros. And so there's a huge level of trust there. If I'm somewhere that I feel it's all a bit much and I'm, I'm, I just need to get somewhere familiar, actually that place is now yeah. like a start. It's a safe haven. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you can be feeling alienated. You can be um, e- even just as basic as like needing to know that you can go somewhere to use the, to use the loo yeah. like when you're on holiday somewhere. People That's a bathroom for like all the Americans in, in the audience. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> I constantly <laughs> had to do that when I was living in the US. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, even just on that basic level, people globally know what they're going to get yeah. when they walk into that store. And they know, uh, you know, they're going to get access to that. There's a toilet there. There's, uh, they're going to get a coffee of a certain standard. They're going to get a certain level of food offering. And there's going to be an element of retail there. And that's really valuable um, to just have that brand awareness globally um, but they've worked you know hell of a hard for it yeah I, I want to offer another pro about these big brands um, the workforce and the way that they get paid uh, oh, and yeah. the, the benefits that the workforce gets working like Starbucks offer an exceptional like extra package to all of their staff you know they get paid time off they get university degrees paid for they get uh shares as well right shares uh they're profit sharing they get um i personally know people who were like traumatized during a lot of the riots that happened in 2020 that ended up um needing counseling and time off and starbucks provided all of that free of charge, they were very supportive of their staff and they're able to do that in ways that small businesses just aren't able to afford that kind of counselling. And and that's Absolutely. because they can afford that the headcount. They can afford to employ people full-time to operate within the business and then offer that. Uh, it's much more cost-effective for them to have a counsellor on staff in the company than to send their staff to someone that's, uh, that's off-site. So that's a yeah. really important thing that we need to recognize the way yeah, that they treat their more. stuff. Mm. Yeah. And there, there's also, um, it's not, it's also not just the way they treat their staff, it's the way they treat their suppliers, the way they yep. treat producers as well. Um, you know, they're, they're in a position, fortunate position where they're making vast sums of money. And yeah. so in, in a way, I suppose the pessimists would say that they kind of have to do those things because otherwise they would be really targeted. But mm. From an optimist side of uh, perspective, um, you know they've got the money there, and they they clearly have a social responsibility, and you can see them demonstrating that. You know, not ninety nine percent of their coffee is labelled as ethical. 
and yeah. that's that's brilliant you know there's there's a lot of big brand bashing and um there's not enough recognition for that type of thing that is going on right as long as the, we recognize the difference between the way something is labeled and what happens actually on the ground sure. right like sure. i hear from a lot of producers that know about a lot of these buying practices that happen with many of the big brands and the problem isn't necessarily the big brands, it's the people who are doing the certifications. And so the people who are doing the certifying are taking a payment in order to make the certification happen. So these producers have to pay for certification so that they can participate in the buying programs with companies like Starbucks. But a lot of the time the certification is being paid off. And so sure. when some producers can't afford to participate, even though that they do operate at those standards, it's the ones who can pay off the, the certifiers. Like it, there's, you know, a, a significant amount of fuckery involved in a lot of these programs. So, yeah. What are some of the cons of the big brands? Um, okay. So <laughs> there's, I mean, there's probably people with uh, pitchforks lining up at the end of uh, this episode. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I mean, and, and again, like the thing I pride myself on with regards to our audience is that these are, um, are open-minded people who think about things. And so uh, the reason you and I get to have such an open conversation without being feared that we're going to get cancelled or anything like that is because the audience is very open-minded. So don't be scared. No one's coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Them is good well, people. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I mean, one one of the undeniable cons that people are constantly moaning about is is the food, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, that's terrible. Uh, every, everyone, as soon as you mention food in yeah. a in a big brand coffee chain, everyone just slightly slumps. You know, and they yeah. fall into their seat. And um, there is that feeling of surely they can do better than that. Sure, yeah. you know, price is ridiculous and. Um, for what you get in, in terms of quality uh, and, and clearly they've done the maths that you were suggesting in the last episode and worked out what um, what they actually need to charge out to make the money um, but the food offering could definitely be better and that that does vary massively by country as well mm -hmm. even um, with, a, with a brand like Starbucks they they do try and tailor to the, to the community and they do a reasonable job at it but you notice that the food offering that you'll have uh, somewhere like Japan, for example, um, especially on the on pastry side and dessert side, is 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 really really good. Mm. Um, it's amazing, actually. Um, and I think because in Japan, maybe culturally, they have a much lower tolerance for bad quality. Um, yeah. And that also kind of feels wrong that that we can see that someone like Starbucks can operate to that quality because there's culturally a people who won't tolerate anything less. Yeah. And then for the people who will tolerate less, they, they kind of step it down. That, that, that feels quite wrong. Well, I want to say something on that, actually. I was going to mention it in the last episode, but this is a really good time to, to use this as a, a kind of case study. When I started off in the industry, was right at the time when specialty coffee was starting to become a thing. We didn't really have a, a, we weren't using the term specialty coffee yet. We just knew that there were these cafes that were serving coffee like Lavazza. And Even. then there were cafes that were serving coffee that was locally roasted by people who really cared. And there was a difference, right? Around that time, Starbucks was trying to infiltrate Australia. 
And it wasn't working. They had hundreds of stores in Australia and they were all failing and they closed them all in a day. And the reason they had to do that was because Australia, like Italy, and it was the Italian immigrants that did this, Australia had a very well-established espresso drinking uh, culture. So we, we didn't need Starbucks to introduce that into the Australian market because we, we had already done that. The Italians who immigrated to Australia had put in the effort to create that culture. So then Starbucks shows up in Australia and we're like, this is shit, mate. Like the quality of your food, the quality of your coffee, this is not what we expect, accept. So they all closed everything in a day. And it was like a couple of decades before they started. And they're only just now, the last few years, starting to bring them back again. Yeah, so it's just really interesting time. how that works, hey. But um, that, that's also interesting because the uh, I'm, I'm going to say this really quickly and under my breath so no one hears it. Um, <laughs> but the, the espresso culture in Italy, for example, is historically really bad. But the quality of the coffee that they're putting out, although they had that culture in terms of people going and drinking espresso at the bar, mm-hmm. typically it was like really dark roast, burn coffee in terms of the way it was extracted and the way it was delivered and they were definitely there first um as 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 a culture um consuming espresso coffee uh-huh but i don't feel like they've moved at the same rate in any shape or form as the rest of the global coffee market because they are coming out of it but there's still a lot of places you go in italy where you'll get that really bad uh, okay that, that traditional you, Italian. You know, espresso. I'm, I'm going to say something. <laughs> out of this, yeah, I know. But this is where I bring up the idea of cultural palate and, you know, subjectivity yeah. and, you know, the way that we drink coffee is very different to the way that they drink coffee. They're the OGs. That's where it started. They've got the right not to move anywhere different from that. Like we sure. adapted their drink into our culture and then we took it in a different direction. And, it, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and that's the beautiful thing about coffee. Here in the Middle East, this is where roasted coffee became a thing. You know, this is yeah. this is where it was all born. And the the way that coffee is drunk here is very very different to the way that coffee went off and flourished and and became in other places. Even the big brands here, the big brands here are trying very hard to figure out how to establish in this region. It's yeah. a fascinating market to see Starbucks operate in. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I was in Istanbul uh, not long ago for uh, for a trade show, and actually, Starbucks it felt like they were sh- struggling a bit to meet the demands because you you've got culturally people there who are drinking Turkish coffee, yeah, and you know, which is just a completely different product, though from the same origin. Yep. Um, and in that case, it really is, should we get a coffee or should we get a Starbucks? Because yeah. they're different products. They're like, completely, completely different. different products. They go to Starbucks to drink sugary drinks. They don't go to Starbucks yeah. to drink. They drink like, a, you know, because it's not a, an alcohol drinking culture, they go to Starbucks to be seen drinking at Starbucks and nobody's ordering coffee at Starbucks. It's really, really yeah. fascinating. Really fascinating. So in the next episode, we're going to talk about the pros and cons of independent cafes. So join us for that episode, folks. Peace, love, and peanut butter. Have an amazing rest of your day. 
Thanks for tuning in, friends. There are two ways you can support this podcast. Firstly, become a paid member of our YouTube channel. Secondly, you can join our Patreon for as little as $3 a month. Both have options for exclusive ad-free content and early release content. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. The Daily Coffee Pro is produced by Map It Forward and the music you're listening to is called Run 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 off of my album Laundry After Midnight. To get older episodes of this podcast, as well as more information on Map It Forward, head to mapitforward.coffee. You can find links and more information in the show notes below. 